You are listening to CKTZ 89.5 FM, Cortez Community Radio. Hello, neighbor. I am Amanda O'Fox Gillespie, and I welcome you to Folk University's Friday Folk You Talk Show on CKTZ 89.5 FM and on the web at cortezradio.ca. And all these shows are also on the web at Cortez Currents. And we'll be telling you about yet another place you'll be able to find many of this month's show a little bit later. We are starting a special month in partnership with Foci called Nature is Good for You. Folk University is an experiment in slow learning. We are asking the question, can we use our ideas, interests, skills, passions, individual literacies, to help us realize our individual potential and make us more resilient, both as individuals and as a community. We have a busy day today. So we have a no, this, this is my first attempt to have quite so many people, um, wonderful people packed into one show. And I am really excited. This has been a major learning curve um, to bring you what we are offering today. First, we have Helen Hall, the executive director of the Friends of Cortez Island here. She's going to talk to us a little bit about this month's Nature is Good for You series. And then we have local Twitcher, Corey Dow, here to tell us, to help us listen a little bit more attentively to the birds in our community, how we can tell a tohi from a blackbird, or in my case, a bird from a squirrel. Uh, some of us are a little bit more beginning. And then we have Jane from Cortez Island Museum and Gallery. She's going to come and talk to us about tomorrow's bird count that happens. And if all goes well, we will also have George Cirque, another local bird enthusiast, enthusiast and known to many of you as Nature Boy, join us on the phone to tell us more about bird migration. You are encouraged to call in during the breaks to ask questions, answer our bird mystery calls, or just to share. The number here is 250-935-0200. And if all goes well, I will remember to play some songs and give you opportunities to actually call in. Okay, so let's see. Here we are with Helen. Helen, I hope that you would be willing to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about some of the things that Foci is up to and why nature is good for us. Hi, Amanda. Yes, um, uh I work as the executive director for Friends of Cortez Island and we have a remit for undertaking stewardship activities on the island and also doing environmental education. And I'm really pleased to be here today to um, help introduce this fantastic series that we've got coming up this month, Nature is Good for You. And the idea really came out of the fact that we're in a crisis. We're in the, this global pandemic and I think a lot of people are very stressed and worried about their future and their health. And... Um, I've worked for a long time in nature, the environmental field, and I'm very into um, the fact that nature is good for you. There's a lot of research that it's kind of intuitive that you feel good in nature, but there's an awful lot of research that shows that being out in nature can um, help you in all sorts of ways. It can improve your mood. It can redu even reduce your blood pressure and, and improve your immune function. So it's been lovely working with Manda, um, pulling the series together, um, with a whole range of different topics on that theme, starting with the Dawn Chorus today. Um, and it's not just learning the bird song, but just being out early in the morning 
and listening to the dawn chorus is a fantastic way to start the day much much nicer than listening to all the news at the moment uh in fact because of you I woke up multiple times over the last couple of weeks uh, to listen to the Dawn Chorus. And I don't think if we hadn't been talking about this and I wasn't trying to record massive amounts of bird songs, <laughs> um, I don't think I would have ha have done that in any sort of intentional way. And indeed, it is such a beautiful way to 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 wake up and start start the day um helen would you i'm putting i'm putting helen on the spot but uh we have a whole awesome month planned and i'm wondering if you would just tell us the dates um when people can tune in to cktz 89.5 fm and on the radio at cortez community radio cortezradio.ca and also afterwards the podcast will be available on the friendsofcortez.org website that's correct yes so shall I just do a little run through of what we're doing? Which if you up? if you just give us the titles and, yeah. and Okay, well today we've got um uh the title is uh, Early Birds from the Dawn Chorus to All Day Twitter. And we've got Corrie Dow coming in to um talk about that. Um that's gonna be a fantastic morning this morning. Uh next week, May the eighth on May the eighth, we've got folk medicine, how to make your own herbal medicines from nature, and that's with um Yulia and she's she's uh, you know got fantastic knowledge on that so that's another very exciting program coming up we've on the 15th of may friday the 15th of may we've got um foci species at risk on cortez and how we can support them and that's with autumn who's been working with us for about a year now on species at risk so that's about how to identify the species at risk on the island and report your sightings and kind of get really interested in them some fantastic um species out there and then on May the 22nd, that's me, and I'm going to be um, talking about why being in nature is good for you and telling you a bit more about all the research that's out there. And finally, on May the 29th, I'm really looking to forward to this one, we've got the Alchemy of Forest Bathing um, with um, Certified Forest Therapy Guide Sob Sob Sobina, and that's going to be a fantastic um, uh, morning where she's going to be talking about forest therapy and getting out into the forest and how you can do different techniques to really benefit from being out there amongst um, the forest this time of year particularly and um, we're also going to have a um, uh, uh, something a, a guided forest walk to um, that people can download from our website and from CKTZ too so that's going to be great people can actually go out and practice that for themselves. Uh, I'm really excited about the whole month. Thank you so much, Helen, for um, helping make this happen. Really looking forward to it. You can also visit friendsofcortez.org and get that whole schedule. Um, and perhaps it will also be on all the other websites and Tideline. Um, we'll just see how well we do with that. <laughs> okay, thanks, Amanda. Thanks for being here. And now I am going to play... Um, a dawn chorus that I recorded at my house. It's not perfect, but let's see how many birds you can identify. And then we'll get Corey Dow into the studio to help us take apart what some of these birds are.
All right. That is the Dorn Chorus from my house. Or this is the Dawn Chorus from my house. And now we have Twitcher Corey Dow here. So we're going to see how this, how this goes. We, were, we just realized that one of the downsides is that we only have one set of headphones in the studio. She is six feet away in this tiny little studio. And she may or may not be able to hear the bird sounds that I'm making her, her, her identify. So we'll see how we can do <laughs> with our, our, our limited abilities. Um, hi, hi, Corey. Thank hi. you so much for being here. Hi, <laughs> okay, the, the, um, I have a trick question to begin with. I want you to tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got into uh, bird watching. But I, I need to know more about this term twitcher because everyone I tell the word to is, you know, <laughs> sort of like me. And they're like, what, huh? <laughs> so can you tell us anything about this word twitcher yeah I, I can and actually it's it's um a gross misnomer <laughs> i it turns out i'm not at all a twitcher i may be slightly twitchy but i am <laughs> not a twitcher because in fact a twitcher refers to someone who t- will travel great distances just to get a bird sighting on their life list or their year list so if, uh, if you're a very competitive sort and really like to have, you know, that solid, uh, tangible proof of your dedication to something, you might be a twitcher who will fly overseas to spend five minutes listening to such and such a bird in the Amazon, record it, photograph it, get back on the plane, fly back to Cincinnati, and then you're off to the next place. So these are the twitchers. Apparently, um, it refers to a British ornithologist in the 1800s, who was also kind of twitchy as well. (laughs) (laughs) So, so whatever the opposite of a twitcher is, I I probably would have to categorize myself. Maybe just twitchy. (laughs) Sometimes twitchy, but not, not a twitcher. It turns out. Um, Well, I I do like the idea though, of the way that you speak about bird watching or bird tracking, which is, as something that you can kind of do as part of your life, um, as part of our very busy lives. So while we both perhaps during this time, especially in our lives here, I feel like I have been more aware and more able to hear bird um, sounds, which could in part be because I've been doing <laughs> preparing for the show, but also I feel like there is simply less background noise um, than usual. But I also feel quite busy. So I would love to hear about uh, how you got into this and and any advice or suggestions you have for others about how to start moving towards getting a little bit more twitchy in their lives. Absolutely. Um, I actually uh, formally studied wildlife when I was in university. So I did a degree in environmental conservation. Um, and so I took two courses which were entirely dedicated to identifying the wildlife of Alberta specifically. I was at the University of Alberta in Edmonton. And, uh, and then in the summers after those courses, I did work doing bird counts in northern Alberta. And so bird count involves going to a specific spot. This is a point count technique. So you go to a specific spot in the woods. Uh, we had to wake up at 3.30 in the morning and, uh, and head out into the bush and go to our specific spot and just stand there in silence for five minutes. So you're standing there in silence for five minutes and you've got your clipboard and your pencil. And 
you try to record all the birds that you perceive within 100 meter um, circle around yourself. So you're turning and you're looking, but mainly you have to use your ears. You've got to know who's talking to you in that little circle and decide, are they near to you? Or are they over the next hill? Are you going to record them in your count? So, so that was my, my uh, in-depth training in listening for the birds and, uh, and involved a lot, many, many, many hours of listening to recordings of birds and trying to memorize what they were saying to me. Um, so I had a dog and every day I would walk the dog and have my Walkman on. That dates me a little bit. So I'd have my Walkman on and I'd be walking along the river valley, listening to the sounds of all these different birds who I wouldn't necessarily hear in my daily life. But I needed to be able to answer now who's this on the, the next test in the course. So, so that's, where, that's where it came from. Um, and, and that was a little while ago. I, I feel like until I met you, it never really occurred to me that bird watching um, involved bird perception, bird listening. And as someone who I, I am, am pretty nearsighted and I feel like my, my eyes are not my best organ of perception, I really like, I feel like there's something I could do. I, like I could actually learn how to listen for birds. And I feel like you've just sort of opened up a lot of that, um, that you know change of idea or possibility for me so thank you well absolutely and we live in a place our ecosystem is just packed with trees hopefully if all's well and so even if you have great eyes you need to know where to look you've got to open your ears to even begin to spot birds and a number of our smallest birds love to just dwell entirely in the treetops so they're up in the canopy flitting from here and there and you've got your great set of binoculars, but you need to identify with your ears where to start looking because they're often obscured. So listening is key. So speaking of that, we're going to play um, a snip of... Um... Let's do the dawn chorus again. Oh, we? should we? Yeah. yeah. Let's do the dawn chorus again. And, and I, I have to speak to the dawn chorus because not only am I not a twitcher, I am not a Dawn Chorus listener. True confessions. <laughs> I am, right here on Folk You Talk Show. <laughs> I am not an early bird. I don't eat worms and I don't feel the need to get out early. <laughs> but the Dawn Chorus is a great way to hear birds over and over again. I find, you know, you'll have your dominant species in your neighborhood are all going to get up to announce, hello, good morning, day, I am here. This is where this is where my plot is. And they're going to work it out between themselves, all the members of their species. I'm over here. I'm over there. So you'll get to hear a lot of the same species over and over again. And so when we listen to some of these clips, we're going to we're going to hear a lot of some of the um, more vocal birds. And that's what you'd hear the dawn chorus. So it's a great time to practice once you've got a little bit of idea of who's who. The dawn chorus is a great test because everyone sings at once and no one hesitates to interrupt. And they all <laughs> sing over one another. So it's, it's quite a good challenge. I feel like this perhaps is not the best dawn chorus you'll ever hear um, because I recorded it at my own house and you hear a lot of water. Uh, it ends with the rooster participating in the dawn chorus. Um, but one of the things I noticed when waking up in multiple days to try to record the dawn chorus for this show um, is actually I, I found like the dawn chorus when I got up was more jubilant at six and it was at five. 
so so not every bird is waking up at 3 30 it turns out so i i found some relief in that yeah i think birding is a lot driven by insomniacs <laughs> so but we don't all have to feel like we need to fit into that pigeonhole <laughs> oh, there are going to be some really good puns today so hold on folks um the other thing that i am not going to overly apologize for my recordings because having then with your help gone on to youtube and places like that to find other bird recordings guess what no one's really doing it any better so <laughs> so we're going to listen to a little bit of this dawn chorus and uh and see see what we hear Okay, so we've, we've had a good start here with the spotted towhee. He's going to be a common neighbor of pretty much everyone on Cortez, I think. This is uh, kind of a largest small bird, basically. It's a little smaller than your robin and always scuffling around in the underbrush and has at least three super distinctive and quite different calls. So you never... You never know what he's going to say next, basically. And there's a number of times in my life when I have crawled through thickets and beat the bushes and stalked and stalked and stalked and been like, oh, it's the towhee again. He's just doing another call. All right. So so the the uh, the trilly guy that's going on here and then responding to himself, cheep, 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 and then brrrr, right there, that's the spotted towhee. And the, so there's two towhees talking back and forth to each other, or it could possibly be the same individual just practicing both his calls. And in this case, it's the male doing the calling. The toy also has this fantastic other call that goes, which makes me laugh pretty much every time. Just, just a funny fellow saying, what's up? You'll hear those guys doing that too. Now this one that just sang out there is the white crowned sparrow. Um, sparrows have that often that long, sweet kind of note at the beginning. I like to think of the white crowned sparrow saying, I eat your garden leaves because they are famous for just nipping at the tips of our newly planted seedlings in our gardens. Um, brassicas, lettuces, parsleys all fall victim to the white-crowned sparrows as they return to Cortez in the spring. And, uh, and a number of neighbors often keep track of the return of the white-crowned flock so that they can let their fellow gardeners know, cover your veg, the white-crowned sparrows are coming. Oh, there's Manda's rooster. <laughs> He's participating, that's fantastic. Okay, well, maybe that's all that we can get out of this dawn course, mostly because I was talking. Um, I had a couple other species in there when I listened quietly to myself. Um, the robin was calling in the background a little bit, and there was a yellow-rumped warbler, which is a beautiful migrant, which I think probably George Cirk will talk about a little bit later. And then, of course, the chestnut-backed chickadees, which are also familiar neighbors to a lot of us. All right, well, this has been an exciting thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let Amanda get another question in here. Uh, as I mentioned, that this is this show is is pushing my boundaries not just because I am not um, uh, typically someone who perceives very clearly the bird sounds that I hear, but also because the technical aspects of trying to play all of these birds that I recorded and speak at the same time, hear them 
using one set of headsets and two mics is really quite interesting. So, so just so you know, Corey is doing a fantastic job. Um, I was wondering, well, we could play that again, but, or we could go now and play the, the bird that might be the easiest for people like me to hear. Sure. Yeah. Go ahead. Quiz me. Um, okay. Well, you're, you're going, you're definitely going to know what this is. Um, all right, folks, let's see if you can figure out what it is. Oh, well, that's not the easiest one, I have to say, man. Okay, well, if my mic is on and I'm talking to you guys, then uh, I can tell you that that short clip actually contained two flocks of geese. Um, the first part, you could hear uh, a migration of a bunch of geese going over. If you actually want to just loop that that clip, yeah. then we can keep it I'm, going. I'm going to while I'm talking. Loop it. Well, let's see. Maybe I'm going to loop it. We'll just see. All right. The initial flock of geese. You hear a large flock uh, of geese, probably flying a little bit high over. And there's been a whole bunch of these that we've been observing in the last couple of weeks, which has been um, both eyes lifting as we all search the sky to see where they're going and heart lifting because there's something so beautiful about a big flock of geese flying in formation. And uh, these ones that call a little bit higher um, with less of a honky thing going on are mostly the greater white-fronted geese. I have also seen uh, a couple flocks of snow geese and they sometimes travel together. Um, so in the clip at the beginning we hear the, the greater white-fronted geese or grey-lag geese flying together. Um, and then we've got some songbirds that come in afterwards. I, I heard the little sweet notes of the ruby-crowned kinglet as he starts his sneezy kind of song. And then there was the yellow-rumped warbler. And then towards the end, you can hear the honking of a few Canada geese. Maybe they were down at the beach by your house. Um, and they have a, a distinctly kind of honk-honk kind of way of calling. And when they fly over, you'll hear the honk versus that other sound of the greater white-fronted geese, which is a little higher. Nice. Well done. Um, I, I'm also saying that to myself because I pieced together a couple different geese sounds in order to, um, all of which were near my house. But after Corey told me that she heard different <laughs> geese in different clips, um, how about um, we go to this next one, which is near and dear to your heart, Corey, because I took this in your yard. Um, uh, are, do you feel ready for that? I'm ready should for we, that. Should yeah. we, yeah. why don't we play it and all of you can listen and Corey will listen and then we can even loop it if we need to um, so that Corey can tell us some of the things that we're hearing. Does that make that sense? That sounds great, yeah. Okay, here we go. We definitely notice uh, that I'm also living by water. This is the water of the lake rather than the water of the beach. And uh, 
In the distance, you could hear the raven calling, and in the in the foreground, you hear this little witch witchu, witch witchu, witch witchu. It's one of my fa- uh, very most favorite um, springbirds that comes back to Cortez. Uh, the common yellowthroat. It's a, a warbler, a songbird that likes to nest in the hard hack along the sides of the lake. Very distinctive call and, and uh, very persistent. So if I'm listening to my Don Chorus, should that ever happen, I'll hear the witch witchu, witch witchu. But he's a very obliging little bird and will sing anytime during the day, repet- repeatedly, especially when the wind dies down or the sun comes out for a little while, then you can be guaranteed to hear that one. So I think Manda's going to just run it one more time for us so we can listen again. Which weet you, which weet you. You'll also hear the check, check. There it is, check. That is the sound of the red-winged blackbird who most not obligingly uh, did not sing for us at all his beautiful song. He's a great singer, the blackbird who lives out in front of my house. Um, there's probably three around the corner of the lake where I live. And uh, Amanda and I stood at a distance from one another on my large deck and listened for this blackbird and looked at him. And he said, check, 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 check a lot. And it's kind of, I think this is the way that he communicates with his mate, who's got her nest down in the reeds there. Uh, but he refused to sing his beautiful Obrio song, which you will all recognize if, if you're near a water body. The Obrio song of the red winged blackbird is one of the earliest sounds that spring is returning. Um, they come back while it's still pretty gray and dismal in February to establish their territories really early. Um, and of course, this is a medium-sized blackbird with bright red shoulder, shoulder feathers. Aha. Uh-huh. So Manda's got another recording of the red-winged blackbird playing right now, which comes from a different part of the world. And as I listened to it, I realized, oh, there's a little Oberi. The one in my neighborhood, I much prefer his song. Um, but they also make a huge number of different sounds, and blackbirds in general are great vocalists. So, in fact, I think that that one is more misleading than anything because it's so loaded. This particular recording is loaded with bird songs, as well as the Oberi. Yeah, if. The one really, really interesting thing that I experienced as a birder learning how to bird in Alberta and then coming and moving to BC and making my home here is that birds speak differently in different neighborhoods. So there are very clear different regional dialects for each species. And then as you begin to observe and and learn your neighbors, you also realize that each individual bird has their own way of singing the species song. And uh, a really funny thing to observe once you've been listening to birds in the spring is to listen to birds again in the fall when the the uh, fledglings are all out of the nest and they'll begin to try to sing along with uh with the other males in their species and uh and they often just butcher the song really (laughs) but you you have to appreciate their efforts and of course no one sings it first right the first time so it's pretty great how about we go to another local clip then? Or do you feel ready for that? Sure. Okay, <laughs> we're just yeah, yeah. <laughs> zooming along. Um, all right, see if you can get what these are. Oh, well, that's the guy we know so well, the spotted toey. Back and forth. Oh, okay. Now this little pizza. Chip, chip, 
uh, is the Pacific Slope Flycatcher, who also makes a really fantastic sound, which he doesn't do in this recording, but he makes a really clear peewit sound, which is so, so distinctive. So Pacific Slope Flycatcher is a great little vocalist that we, we might be like, who is that bird in our neighborhood? And you'd hear him high up in the conifers usually. He's it. Who else is there? In the background, we could hear some gulls, so it's a giveaway that we're near near the ocean in this one. And also, the uh, let's see, what else did I hear? going. Again, the toey. You could listen to it all day long and still be like, is that the toey? Yeah, that's the toey. As the toy goes on and on, I'm waiting to hear the American robin, which of course is a very common bird in, in our yards and uh, and also quite the great vocalist with a number of different calls. So I, th I think that Manda actually has a track of a robin singing, which we should listen to because he's usually a, a big star in the dawn chorus. There he is. So that's the robin song. It's often paraphrased as cheer up, cheerio, cheerio, cheerly, cheer up, cheerio, cheerio, cheerly. There's a robin call, which is very common you'll hear in your yard. Maybe your cat has just come out into the yard and the robin is just letting all the other robins know cat is in the yard. The robins have been really active in my garden this year. As soon as I uh, put out some new things, they come and sift through all the soil on the top to yank out the worms. They're avid gardeners themselves. Do we have another one? Aha. This is the big black neighbor that none of us with chickens want to see hovering in the trees above us. The raven has so many different calls, and that's one of my favorite one, that little sort of water drop one. Okay, the one that we have next is the one that, um, let's see what, oh yeah, okay, so I sent this one to uh Corey and I was like oh I think I got a uh, woodpecker uh, <laughs> and um, so see if you can <laughs> tell my egregious air I have to say that it's for sure Amanda's coming along as a true birder. 
because you're a true birder when you're like listening and you're like, yes, I need to know this one. I'm going to pay close attention. And then you turn to a more experienced birder and they say, that's great. That is a squirrel. <laughs> you have identified a squirrel and another excellent vocalist in our neighborhood squeaking away, establishing territory, letting everyone know what's going on. The other thing that I seem to be good at identifying um, are spring peepers, oh, <laughs> frogs. <yeah. laughs> so squirrels and frogs, pretty much that is my bird um, listening experience. Okay, so the next one we have, um, I think, was the mystery one that Corey couldn't identify. I have since then managed to get rid of some of the background noise in this clip so i feel like i'm going to give you a second chance with this but if you are listening out there and you can identify what this is then you should call in at 250-935-0200 oh someone's calling in right now but um so hold on a second i might be able to answer that when i play this Amanda's, Amanda's looking at me, shrugging her shoulders. So, so, tell us what it is. <laughs> no pressure. You, well, the bird in the background really sounds like a warbler to me. And uh, the yellow rump warblers are our biggest and, and most numerous, I think, warblers in, in most of our yards that come. And for me, they usually say chuba 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 chibi 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 chibi. Uh, which perhaps this one is saying, but I, I did a little hunting around possibly McGilvery's warbler, which is a little hooded warbler. All these warblers are small birds that often feature kind of a yellow and gray color scheme going on. They're insectivorous, so they're flitting around. Uh, it's called hawking for incense. They'll be up in the trees and you'll see them just flutter out of the tree, do a little acrobatics and then back down to the tree and they're just leaping up and catching bugs. So if I had been with you, I would have looked to that sound and been like, what is that bird doing as it's making these fabulous noises? Where is it? Is it... Uh, is it on the ground? Is it in the conifers? Maybe it's in the alders just picking up bugs. So uh, maybe you'll go back to your yard if we don't get an answer today from someone and keep an eye out from the yellow rumped warbler. Uh, it has a yellow rump, so I think you'll be able to identify it. You might be surprised. <laughs> um, so can you, on that note, talk a little bit about how we can each um, incorporate a little bit more kind of bird awareness in our in our regular lives and and to really put you on the spot will you uh send a couple of these birds that we heard today and the the call or like the words that would make up their call so that for instance i can remember oh yeah that you know blah 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 might be the, oh, you, want you, know. know the, you want to know the paraphrases? <laughs> yeah, I want to know the paraphrases. Okay, I want to know the yeah. paraphrases. And if I pretty much don't know what else to say, do I say toey? Yeah. <laughs> like if yeah. I, I can just be like, oh, that's a toey. Robin or toey. Those are your go-tos. <laughs> if you're not sure, you're you're thinking Robin or toey. They are really chatting up a storm and, uh, and have a lot of different calls. Um, 
Yeah, when Helen asked me to come and do this talk, you know, she she's an enthusiastic Dawn Chorus listener. And I think that it doesn't matter what time of day you, you do bird listening, it, it puts you in a space of a very meditative, very open uh, frame of mind because you have to stop everything in your brain in order to start sorting out the sounds that you're hearing. And you have to become still because if you're moving around all over the place, you're not going to be able to hear, especially at a dawn chorus, all the different things going on. Um, I, I'm a mom of a small son, so I don't have a lot of time to be still, but when we're out and about in the yard, we can just learn our neighbors, which is a lot of where my bird focus has been in the last few years. As I'm out working in the yard, they're gonna be the same birds coming around day after day after day. Um, I'm gonna be watching the violet green swallows building their nests in the nest box that's hanging from the eaves of my house. And I'm gonna be listening to the towies skittering around in the underbrush at the edge of the lake, making their calls. There's gonna be the song sparrows singing, hip, hip, hooray boys, the spring is here again. Now that's an Alberta paraphrase. So if anyone's got a BC paraphrase for that one, that, uh, that would be great. But the song sparrow is also very common in a lot of our yards and, and they often have those hip, hip, hooray, like one, two, three kind of call followed by a bunch of birdie, blah, 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 as they do. Um, and then of course the white crown sparrows, they're saying, I'm gonna eat your leaves. You know, they've got that long, that long intro note. Um, the robin, cheer up, cheerio, cheerily, cheer up, cheerio, cheerily. Now, later in the season, the Western Tanager, a super fantastic bird, shows up here. Um, it might be here already. Maybe George will speak to that because he's got his eyes on the skies when it comes to the migrants. Uh, it's a bright yellow bird with a red head and black markings on it. And it has a robin-like call, but it's a little bit more terse. Um, and at the end, it says, Jebek, Jebek, Jebek. So it's got this little call while it does its robin song. And I guess the whole point of this is when you're hanging out in your yard and you're listening to these birds and you're getting to know them, you notice when someone new is singing because it's like, oh, that's like a robin, but it's not really like what the robin usually says. And so then your mind is open to those differences. I was thinking about it this morning a little bit, and it's a lot like people watching in a metropolitan situation. Maybe you're in a busy square and there's people from all over the world walking around and they're all talking a different language. And you wouldn't expect yourself to know what they were saying, but as you sit and watch and listen, you begin to pick out the different places and you begin to guess, like, where is that from? Where is that, that accent from? Um, what language is that? And I think that that's what we do with the birds in our yards. You know, it's like, where, where does that come from? What species speaks in that particular way? So as you listen to your toey making the and all its different little calls and its it's things, you'll notice that there's a certain toey tone. There's a certain roundness. And, and eventually you'll wake up in the morning and it will be like picking up the phone and your friend's like, hey, how's it going? And you just know who it is because you've heard that friend many, many times before. Um, so that's how I think about it in my daily life. Oh man, I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it seem possible oh, um, yeah. in, in a really cool way. Okay, so we're going to play um, a couple more of those sounds so that people can hear them. And I would love to hear from you. If you have questions that you'd like to ask our wonderful and informative Corey Dow um, about a bird that you're he you've heard, you're hearing, or um, about how to better listen for birds... Uh, this would be a great time 
to call in at 250-935-0200. So once I start playing these bird sounds. And then um, if we have more questions, uh, Corey will answer them. We still have more to learn about um, with the upcoming bird count. And we will also then put Corey on the spot and talk a little bit about what she's doing in her garden. So give us a call. Let us know if you heard any birds that we didn't hear or if you've been seeing birds and what you've been seeing or if you just have questions about how to be a better twitcher a casual twitcher all right a better casual twitcher no pressure around here um all right so i am going to go back to should i go all the way back to maybe i'll go back to to the geese and then into your to your yard um the dawn chorus seems like a lot of pressure Okay, let's see what we've got. Can you tell which one is the bird and which one's the birder? You know, there's a couple birds that, because we were just recording during the day and in specifically in our yards that we didn't get that are so common that many of us probably hear. You know, the barred owl is a neighbor worth knowing. Um, also, the eagles, the bald eagles, if you're down at the beach, you'll hear them calling. 
you had one clip that maybe didn't make our collection today that had oyster catchers in it, which are a very distinctive beach sound, very high and shrill and persistent. And those guys really epitomize the beach for me. Um, so there's a few that we missed out and also the, just the calls of the ravens. We somehow managed to get away without hearing the loud, obnoxious family calls of the ravens who have really been establishing themselves in our neighborhood this year, but it's probably because of poultry um, and as well as their beautiful other songs that they make to each other, their little calls and chips and chirps and mysterious noises. But uh, yeah, those are songs that we didn't have a recording of that, that you should all challenge yourself to notice in your yards. I would say that if you want to begin birding, go ahead and choose yourself three birds to get to know. Just choose three and watch them while they're singing. It makes a huge difference to be able to look at the bird as it sings, look at where it is, look at how it perches. Does it go to the top of the tree or does it tend to be in the underbrush? Is it on a reed on the side of the lake or is it, is it making a call as it flies over? These kinds of things are going to really help you identify and come to really familiarize yourself with the species. And in your three birds, notice the tone and notice, are they repetitive? Do they have a really resonant way of talking or are they kind of mutterers? Some birds mutter a bit, whereas some tend to be very clear and resonant. I think that's why warblers are called that because they really have a really bubbly sort of outward kind of song, even though their calls are all slightly different. Um, and also, don't forget to listen for the hummingbirds. Sometimes the noises that birds make are not even anything about their calls, they're just about their flight noises. Um, maybe if you're near a water body or an open field, you might hear nighthawks at night and they make a fabulous noise with their tail feathers as they're diving for insects. It makes a strange boing. So you'll be watching these birds flying high and erratic because they kind of flap one wing and then the other. They look like they're out of control. They're all high and they're catching bugs. And then all of a sudden you hear boing, and that's the male's tail feathers vibrating as it dives. So there's, uh, there's other things to notice about the birds besides just what they're saying, also what they're doing. Perhaps, um, I don't know in this line, but one of the things I got to see, but, and was trying to get a sound from, but I don't even know what the sound would be, are turkey vultures. Oh, yeah. Do turkey, what are, what's the sound of a turkey vulture? I couldn't tell you. Oh. Maybe that's Neither. how you know them. You know them by their silence, by their by their gliding in, by yeah. their just gliding in, and you can tell something about the day by watching the turkey vulture. I actually have a great story about turkey vultures in Mexico, and uh, I went para paragliding. So I climbed up to the top of this hill with my Mexican guide, and we sat on this big hillside that was all carpeted in astroturf, and he said, "We're gonna watch the sopilota." which is their name for turkey vultures. We're gonna watch them until their wings are doing the right thing so that we will know that the wind currents are smooth enough, smooth enough for us to be able to glide safely. And so we just sat and chatted for about 45 minutes, just about this and that, watching the vultures toing and froing. And he said, you know, we don't wanna see them with their wings bent back hard because they're fighting the wind and we don't wanna sail in that kind of a situation. So we waited until they were gliding all smooth, like you've seen them coming out, all smooth. And then uh, we went ahead and ran ourselves down off the hill and into the sky. Wow. So the pilotas were our guide. That is beautiful. Um, thank you so much for that. Why don't we listen to a little, uh, uh, when this 
um, finishes up, we can listen to a little bird themed music. I've put together a playlist today to inspire us. Um, we'll see. Some of these aren't aren't super original, uh, <laughs> uh, like the first one. But we were just speaking about this species um, a few moments ago, not um, directly. So this might be, um, you know, the most obvious first one. Uh, so, whoops! Oh my goodness! Sorry. Curious now. Oh, 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 oh it's mind. yeah. It's Don't not. Mind. It's not. <laughs> All right. Let's. Yeah. You, yeah. We. We can. This is blackbird. Um. Okay. Or it's going to be any moment.
love that song and (laughs) Corey Corey said she she appreciated that one as well so we um were talking a little bit in the studio while the music was playing and I really like when I'm with Corey to also pick her brain about gardening which we do every week uh folk you Friday as I make people share what they're doing in their garden and so I'm wondering what you are doing in your garden right now, Corey. Okay, the weekly quiz. What's the, happening? Yeah, the in weekly your quiz. Garden? <laughs> how how for Amanda to feel more insecure about her own lack of gardening knowledge? Oh, no, no, no. We'll have none of that because uh, you can have tons of knowledge, and the raccoons will still come and dig up your peas when you're not looking. So that's what I've been doing. The raccoons have been digging up my pea seedlings, and you know puttering around through the mulch, spreading it all around everywhere. And then I just plant it back every morning. I just pick up all the little pea seedlings that are still alive and put some more seeds in and put them all back. And And I'm learning hard lessons about mulch, it turns out. I have a really soft spot in my heart for mulching to keep the soil moist and alive and have a little bit of habitat near the surface for all the little invertebrates that are doing their thing there. But man, do the raccoons love mulch. I think they also like to eat the worms and things. So, you know, I'll lay everything out all so nicely, and then the raccoons will just come and wreak havoc everywhere. So far, the brassicas are okay, though. The kale and the cabbages are still standing, withstanding their mulch disturbances. But uh, the peas did get a dig, a good hard dig. Um, beets are all coming up, my little beet seedlings. So I was thinning beets the other day. 
and uh, a, a neighbor gave me some beet seedlings that I was able to put in. That was new for me. I've never transplanted beets before, but she assures me it works great for her, so I'm keen to try something new. And then I've got a couple cold frames with uh, lots of greens growing in them, so we actually ate some of our own lettuce and arugula and had a salad from our own veggie box in our yard the other day. Amanda's, give, Amanda's giving me a like really jealous, like, I hate you kind of look. <laughs> plant those greens and cover them up and they'll grow in no time um but also to remember to keep putting the seeds in so every time i harvest a lettuce then i i put in another short row of something because you got to keep planting if you want to keep harvesting so do you put the seedlings directly in like the, the seeds directly in the soil or do you start the um and lettuce seeds and transplant them both. I've got some vigorous ones, and so uh, it's in a cold frame. So this is a box that has maybe 18-inch sides on it and then a, a lid with a plastic cover on it so the sun can get through a little bit. Um, but I close it every night to keep it nice and warm and moist in there, and then I, so I just sow the seeds directly in there. And then uh, if I sow them a bit thick, I just transplant them out. So they're both being sown in place and being a little seed bed for transplants if I want to space the lettuce out outside the box in the garden so both I was giving her a look that it wasn't a look of hate it was just a look of lust it was like let oh, oh <laughs> yeah it was yes. let us lust let us <laughs> that's right that's right yeah there's we, some good weeds coming up too you know I noticed lamb's quarters coming up in my garden I was like oh yes this is going to definitely supplement and dandelion leaves lemon balm that sort of thing is all great to supplement the salads if if your lettuces aren't big enough yet so and overwintering parsley. I've got these parsleys that just overwinter, and we eat a lot of that right now. <laughs> so we all have different gardens. Um, and since you are a birder, can you talk a little bit about um, your relationship with birds in the garden? Well, mainly mine is, is pretty friendly with the birds in the garden. Me and the raccoons don't always see eye to eye, but... The birds are generally all right. I've been noticing the robins in any area where um, the soil is uncovered and loose. They like to, to kind of get their beaks in there and scratch around a little bit and pick out the worms. Um, but knock on wood, I have not been afflicted by the white crown or the golden crown sparrows coming and nibbling on my greens yet. But when I work in gardens, when those sparrows are in the neighborhood, we put remay over the brassicas and anything else that we think might be vulnerable. And so that's a, it's a floating row cover. It's this sort of finely spun polyester that's white that you can just put right over the plants loosely and just kind of tack the edges down until the birds are, are dispersed. Because they, they migrate, they come together, they come hungry, they come with their eyes open for something tasty to eat, and then they disperse to their various nesting sites. So as soon as they've dispersed and kind of settled down to nest, then we don't have to worry about our gardens so much. Our plants are a bit bigger. The birds are busy eating closer to where they're living, and it's not such a big deal. So, yeah. I noticed George Cirque put on the tide line this week um, that there's something in his neighborhood that showed up, and I forget which bird it was. Maybe you saw this. I'm not sure, Corey. And he was like, gardeners, beware. Uh -huh. This one particular bird is has just arrived. So... Yeah. You know, beware. Uh, and I love that idea, as you mentioned earlier, of sort of gardeners in a neighborhood being able to communicate with each other about who's around. Yeah. Yeah. There's some go-to people that are called to report on the status. You know, code red, get out your remake. Sparrows are here. <laughs> 
And do you have tips also, sorry, Berter, um, about fruit trees? I notice in your yard you have a fig tree. I don't know if those get eaten, but like cherries sure do. And a number of other things um, seem to be very popular with the birds. What do you do for those? I'm of the school of thought that you know, live and let live, share and share alike. I have a really big fig tree in my yard. So when you have a big fig tree, it's kind of easy to take that attitude. Um, Definitely the tanagers, which are a gorgeous bird to look at, love to eat figs. Uh, But the tree is big and there's a top corner that's really awkward for me to pick. And so the tanagers eat those ones and I make sure I get out of bed early to pick my figs. Never mind about the birds. If you pick your fruit when it's ripe and if you pick it regularly, then you'll find or I have found for myself that I get my fair share. Um, if if you're not around or if you only like to pick for one day out of the two week period when something's ripe, I think that you'll find that you miss a lot. Um, but if you do a daily a daily patrol of your fruit trees, cherries, cherries are tricky to pick. And most people I know who have a really beautiful cherry harvest, keep them in a net, you know, like in some kind of a, a, a cage sort of situation. Although I have had the situation sometimes with netted fruit, especially blueberries, where a bird gets in, can't get out, it's forced to eat all the blueberries. So <laughs> you're kind of taking your chances when you net your fruit. But I find that picking your fruit exactly when it's ripe, Uh, really works because the birds are not interested in underripe fruit for the most part you know if they're well educated if they've been brought up properly by their parents then they know to eat the ripe fruit so so I just tend to share and and pick my pick my part I I love that philosophy this is Manda O'Fox Gillespie you're listening to CKTZ 89.5 FM Cortez Community Radio on the web at cortezradio.ca this is Friday's Folk You Talk, and we are lucky to have Corey Dow here, um, who says she's just a casual twitcher um, and is also giving us gardening advice that I am, of course, getting all sorts of bird um, angles on. So if you do not know what a casual twitcher is because you have missed the last hour, then I definitely suggest you go on to CortezRadio.ca after this or Cortez Currents, and you can look up um, not only what it means to be a twitcher, but also how you can learn to perceive the birds in your neighborhood better and even participate in this year's bird count, which is happening tomorrow. We have Jane from the museum coming in a little later to talk a little bit more about that. And so any oh, I, on, on the birds eating fruit, um, I have noticed that there's a number of wild fruit trees, including cherry trees, not too far from my house. And there's always fruit on them. So um, as much as it may be really difficult to, to feel like we are getting saving everything from birds, um, I, there is clearly a, a way that we can um, at least get some part of what's there. And I like the idea of just sort of getting things when they're ripe and, um, and that a proper brought up bird will not eat your tree the day before it's ripe. <laughs> That's my theory anyway. <laughs> That's my theory. Yeah. I, I, I'm into theories. Um, so can you talk a little bit more, uh, almost every week, a gardener has said something along the lines of mulching. Yay, yay, hip hooray, mulching. This is very big on Cortez. People like to mulch. I am learning 
all about mulching because of all of you beautiful, avid people. And will you talk about like what you mulch with? And if you like, have you thought about mulching with something different that the raccoons would like less? Um, yeah, tell me. for sure. Um, I got a tip from my neighbor the other day about use cardboard in beds that you're not going to plant right away. So that because cardboard mulch particularly attracts raccoons and, uh, and also people mulch with, you know, I use hay a lot because it's affordable. People use straw because they find it has a bit less weeds. Um, seaweed is is pretty popular. I've noticed the raccoon will dig up every single one of these mulches, but they particularly like the cardboard and it makes a more giant mess when they dig that up. Um, so I would reckon next time I won't put any cardboard on beds that have plants in them. I'll only use it on beds that are uh, just being held in kind of a weed-free state and then I'll take off the cardboard and clear a bit of space while they're planted. Then maybe I'll put some mulch back on once the plants get a little bit bigger and they're not going to be so easily disturbed. And maybe uh, if I just keep it away from the beds, the raccoons will kind of give up on those beds. Anyways, anyone who has any kind of a degree in raccoon psychology, I would be very, very interested to hear about that in a future show. Call in anytime and let us know about your uh, experience in raccoon psychology at 0200. I um, am wondering, we, there has been a remarkable, a remarkable seaweed harvest. Um, I have been uh, dragging endless um, cartfuls of seaweed to my own garden, and many of you have as well. And if you want to know some secret spots, you're welcome to call me um, during the next uh, song break at 0200, and I will let you in on some of the ones I know about. But what you mentioned using seaweed mulch, uh, can can people go ahead and mulch with seaweed right around their their little seedlings once they're up? I've seen people do that, but I would say that I'm not the greatest expert on seaweed use because as well, I don't get up early and I don't go to the beach and haul lots and lots of seaweed so so many times per year, maybe just one time per year. Um, some people rinse their seaweed to avoid adding much salt to their garden. Some people don't. Some people are very selective, avoiding eelgrass, which is slow to break down. Other people go ahead and use lots of eelgrass because it's great coverage. Um, so I, th I think you can just follow your bliss when it comes to seaweed use basically uh, but no little seedling wants to be drowned in anything be it straw or seaweed or anything like that so give them a little space as as they come up wonderful we are going to have another bird related song um, this is bird on the wire by leonard cohen and then we're going to hear about the upcoming bird count um with Jane from the museum and gallery. And then we will get a little bit more uh, tips from Corey, who's led many bird counts uh, in the past. So you too, even if you've never done it before and you're not particularly perceptive like me, you can take place this year. You can take part in this as well this year. So here we go. A little bit more bird themed music on today's Friday Folk You. A bird on the wire Like a drunk in a midnight choir I have tried in my way To be free Like the worm on a hook 
was bird by dead can dance isn't that nice did you hear those calls at the end um i i couldn't actually identify them but i like the idea that i would be able to so we are lucky now to have in this studio we we're just having a revolving door today it is awesome um we have jane from the cortez island museum and archives i got that wrong earlier I apologize. Uh, And we're going to learn a little bit more about the bird count, which is happening tomorrow, and just a little bit more about what the museum and archives are up to right now, because we're all still around just figuring it out during this weird time. Welcome into the studio. Thank you. It's so great to be here and actually connect with people (laughs) as opposed to just with computer, etc., telephone. I had a funny uh, attempt this morning at um, facilitating a Google Hangout or a Google Meet meeting, and it completely went sideways. Nobody could connect, and if they could, it was just a bomb. And I had a phone in one hand, headphones in the other, landline going on, computer, and it was just like, nope not to be. So I'm really, really glad to be here, Amanda. Thank you very much for having me. It is absolutely my pleasure to to sit six feet of, across, but also like actually be in space together. So yeah, um, and we and I'll, a beautiful thing happened as we were doing our kind of transition time. And I walked out of the studio and Jerry showed up who cleans the place and um, and helps with the radio and said that things sounded good, which is a huge relief and also that though he doesn't usually like talk radio he has been enjoying hearing the bird sounds especially um because like me that feels achievable in a way that i feel like bird watching um is just not as easy so so i feel like we're off to a good start we are Uh, So tell us a little bit more about the bird count and, you know, what the museum and archives are up to right now and and how even people who are 
not so great can participate. Okay, well, I've got lots of different uh, little tidbits here. So for sure, tomorrow, May 2nd, is the 2020 bird count. And it's actually a migratory species and local species count. It's actually not as much on the numbers of individual birds that you're going to cite, which the Christmas bird count does do. But it is more about the actual number of species that you're able to either view, photograph, or hear. And if you can ID a species by its sound or call, that is actually sufficient. You just would write that into your um, your data. And you can, if you have a difficulty with identifying anything that you might see tomorrow, you could uh, photograph it and send the photograph to cmass at twincom.ca, which is our, our email address, which many of you will know, but that is C-I-M-A-S at twincom.ca. And so I say it's 24 hours, the count, which means that if you heard owls in the night and you were able to identify whether it was a barred owl or something else, um, you could include that in your count. Uh, we'd love it for people to submit everything by about maybe 6 p.m. on Sunday, kind of at a latest, just to give you a little bit of a, a tight turnaround so that we can actually start compiling all the data. Uh, the museum has been doing the uh, spring migratory bird count since 2004, collecting all the data and sending that forward to Audubon. And we also have been doing the Christmas bird count since at least 2001. I was looking in the file. And that one study, that one is all uh, co-sponsored by Bird Studies Canada. And as I say, all the data goes into the Audubon uh, Society database. And so it's valuable. Not only is it an interesting thing to do with your time and you learn things with your book in hand and your binoculars and possibly an Audubon app that would help you with your identifying uh, because you can actually play the calls and the songs of the different birds. So if you're seeing something, you're not quite able to identify it, but you're hearing it too, you can play that Audubon app and it will play the exact sound that you may be listening. It'll help you in your identification. So tomorrow morning, I mean, it'd be great to get up at dawn, get outside, hear those birds and all of their choruses. Uh, but anytime throughout the day or, or evening or night, Please record anything that you're able to, you know, ensure you've got an ID on. And as I say, if you don't, you can send something to the museum and we can see if we can ID it. Um, the other thing that's kind of fun, and I have brought it with me to the radio studio today, is we have this book that the, the museum put out, and it's called Are There Whales in Whale Town? And many of Cortez Islanders will have probably seen this book that they bought at some point down the road, or they've seen it at someone's house. And it's actually kind of an activity book for kids. But I am such a, a, a beginner at identifying birds and their calls uh, that I looked at it today and I was like, wow, this would be ideal for me. And it's on page 10 and 11 in that book. There's a My Cortez Island bird list and several of the images of birds that you may see. And you could actually use this as a beginner or as a child or a youth to sort of help you jumpstart your bird watching tomorrow. Because I realize that some people may actually like this idea that there's sort of a beginner's uh, help available to you, I put a bunch of the booklets, Are There Whales in Whale Town, out on the patio, the porch, at the museum in a plastic bag. 
It's called Are There Whales in Whale Town? They're ten dollars, and if anybody over the t- next you know day or two or whatever would like to go buy one, you can just slide your money through the little mail slot in the door. Um, and it if you have it at home already great idea to just pull that out turn to page 10 and 11 and have a look at the really basic bird count that's available for you there i've got more i can say but i love to hear if there's any questions that you've got in mind manda for uh bird count i i well one i need you to go through one more time if you're willing so okay I haven't signed up in advance. I wake up tomorrow. I just learned what a tohi sounds like. I, I, I realize that I've just heard it. Now what? Well, what you would do is you could have a list. Okay. You could have like a, a like a piece of paper in front yeah. of you, and you would just write down tohi. And if you wanted to, and you heard or you saw several as well, you could write down how many you saw. But it really is a species. Uh, it's not just migratory birds. Tohi are a local bird, so we see them year round. But we want those numbers as well, or those species included. So you could just write that down. Um, there is also on the museum website. Uh, cortezmuseum.ca under the events tab you can uh, uh, you'll drop that down and you'll see bird counts and you go to that and there'll be some ideas of last of other years species counts that you could see there I may or may not be correct about this but I think there's actually something that you can print there that is a bit of a uh, listed sort of um, form that you might be able to use to uh, to write your own list from. But I'm absolutely not 100% sure about that right now. I seem to think Nancy Kendall mentioned that. But I think I, I saw a form Yeah, because um, it had different species. And some yeah. of them I was like, oh, this is, I didn't realize this was around here. So that's one of the migratory ones. Um, and so if, if I were, say I were to only be able to you know know when I've seen a blue heron and know when I've heard a tohi um even if it's not a super complete list I could keep a list um of what I have positively identified and then and and still participate even if it's not like I listened intently for 12 hours Absolutely not. You could see two birds tomorrow, write them down quickly into an email and fire it off off to us at the museum. Nothing needs to be really solid, you know, no specific form, no signing up. It, you know, I guess identify your name and how we might reach you. But that's basically it because you'd be either emailing us or maybe even phoning the museum. But you can submit that by Sunday at some point. You could submit it tomorrow as soon as you've done it. Um, and it can be anywhere you go too. like it can be anywhere on Cortez Island. It doesn't matter if it's just from your yard, anywhere on Cortez you know, honoring social distancing, um, of course. But uh, yeah, it's very basic. Anybody can do it. There's no signing up. Any species you can positively identify or at least get a photograph of and send it to us. That is totally all you need to do. This is what Cortesians like, what Islanders like. Low commitment, low expectation, <laughs> yeah, yeah. maximum fun and participation, Perfect. And we really want that. It's meant to be fun. It's something to do. It's something for all ages. And it's something to do over five or 10 minutes. All of a sudden, you see something that catches your eye and you're astonished by it. 
take a photo of it, listen, you know, whatever, and write it down and send us the information. That would be great. The other thing that you can do at the same time in in the event that you are sort of dedicating an hour or a couple of hours or whatever is uh, notice butterflies. We've started a new butterfly listing and it's also under that same drop down events menu under the bird counts. And uh, Mike Yip uh, had uh, been to uh, Cortez last year and gave a talk and brought his books and he's got gorgeous books, photo books, and he had sort of inspired us to start collecting information about butterflies here. Of course, they are, for many people, much, much more difficult to identify. So once again, photograph, send us the image, we will do our best to either send it on to somebody else if we can't identify it, um, and or identify it because there are people that have been working on this. So um, butterflies are also, as I say, of interest to us right now, too. Um, the other thing that I think is, is quite interesting, right now, we're redoing the booklet that many people will have a copy of in their library, or will have seen it's called Birds of Middle of Cortez and Middle Natch Islands. And it was created, I believe, started with observations that started around the 70s. And then the book was first self published in the 80s. And it was done by Zwickle, Grono and Cirque. And it is a comprehensive listing of many of the birds that have been sighted in and around this area. And at this point right now, uh, Gina from the museum is doing a re-entry of a lot of the data so that we're going to be able to track it and update more efficiently. Like this book is the way it was created in the beginning was never able to sort of be added to or changed or whatever. So there's going to be a new version of that. And it's a great resource for us to have already. And now it will come out in some kind of an updated version. And I can't give you an absolute timeline on when that'll be completed. Won't be for tomorrow, <laughs> but soon. So stay tuned for the birds of Cortez and Middle Natch Islands uh, being re, uh, republished or, you know, redone. I'm um, just looking at my list here to see if there's anything that I really wanted to add. Um, low tide is a really great time to take your binoculars to the beach, too. And if you sit quietly, apparently there are quite a few migratory and, of course, local species uh, uh, birds down around the beach areas. I know that I was talking with Nancy Kendall today and yesterday, I think they'd seen some greater yellow legs. And uh, they're something that you would normally see right down around the the beach area, but they saw them walking on a road, (laughs) which was, I think, kind of surprising. But uh, also another sighting that um, Nancy reported was they'd seen an American or two American goldfinches. So they know the birds really well. And I know there's lots of other people that do. So these sightings are already happening. But it is a 24-hour count. So tomorrow is the day that you actually have to see it to have it included. If you saw it this week, doesn't really work. Has to be May 2nd, 24 hours from midnight to midnight. And um, I, I know that's a little tricky when you've seen something fantastic and you're just ready to include it, but it's not there on May 2nd. Uh, one other thing I wanted to talk about too is the Wild Cortez exhibit. Um, I know that Currently, it's not open, um, but it is a valuable resource on the commu- uh, on the island here over at the Linnea Education Centre, and it's not it doesn't have regular opening hours right now, uh, as nothing does. But it 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 has a lot of quite a few species that have been um, 
the, our taxidermist, Laurel Bohart, has uh, created these um, species, these taxidermy uh, mounts, and they're fantastic. And it's a really great way for anybody to get up close and personal with a bald eagle with a great blue heron, with many of the songbirds and some of the waterfowl, etc. So they're all in the Wild, Cort- uh, the Wild Cortez exhibit uh, space there. And once we're able to reopen, we're really planning on having some, some great opportunities for youth and really wanting to hear from youth and uh, any, you know, sort of that younger age group about how they'd really like to see this exhibit and the, the sort of wild aspects of, of Cortez Island um, programmed for and, you know, how can they be involved and things like that. So we're really trying to, to sort of build a, a, a larger, broader awareness of what Wild Cortez is and what it can be. So any ideas that anybody out there has about what they feel could come uh, what you know, Wild Cortez could offer them, or they could offer it. We're really at this point right now very open to hearing from from people about that. What about any other questions that you have, Amanda? I was just thinking that now we have some local bird sounds recorded. We can uh, maybe figure out a way to add those over time. Um, no, that sounds wonderful. I did hear a. a a moan of appreciation come from the other room when you said that I think it was the American yellow finch uh, <laughs> sighting. Um, so that is clearly there are some wonderful, um, exciting, beautiful birds that people are going to experience tomorrow. And it's perfect timing because just yesterday an article came out um, from Dr. Ben Bonnie Henry, our chief medical officer that we spend a lot of time um, admiring in my house, saying that we, like, everybody get outside. She's really encouraging people to get outside now that we, um, the evidence is suggesting that COVID-19 is not passed through the air, um, that it means that the chances of being exposed when you're outside are so, so minimal. And she's really, you know, encouraging people to be outside and to see each other from our six feet distance outside. And I think tomorrow is a wonderful opportunity for people to feel like they're part of a community doing something useful and getting outside. So. Yeah. Feels like good timing. Yeah, it's May. It's May. Yeah, May it's... species count. Migratory, local. Woo-hoo! Let's all get out there. I know. I, I agree. Since we're, none of us are migrating anywhere these days, we can appreciate all the birds that have come home just in time to uh, tell us all about their holidays. Well, and that's a good point, too, because uh, some uh, someone was raising the question, well, what is migratory? And really, it, a lot of the migratory birds that we might see tomorrow are not necessarily migrating beyond here for the summer. They may have migrated now and they're here for the summer. But some of them may be migratory, you know, they're, they're on their path and they're stopping here to feed or to get water or, you know, whatever, to take a break and then they're on their way somewhere else. So it's this little flash of really, really interesting influx that some of them will be here for a while, some of them will just be really ephemeral, they'll come and they'll go, and then of course we don't want to lose sight of all of our other local species that are here all the time. So tomorrow's the day, and I think that's really, uh, you know, about all that I can say right now uh, about the species count, and um, I could, you know, say that we're looking 
really excited to see people's faces and to hear from people at the museum. Uh, and if you have to, if you have a question or anything about anything other than species count, uh, please drop us a line, uh, phone us, email us, anything, because we miss you. And will you give us uh, your website again and the email where people should send um, their sightings? Um, and yeah, just, uh, oh, and remind people that they can come by and get the book. Right on. So tomorrow, if you wanted to, or today, visit the website. It's cortezmuseum.ca. Under the events tab, you drop down, you'll see bird counts. But of course, peruse the rest of the website too, because there's some interesting stuff there if you haven't visited it before. To email us any of the information that you gather tomorrow during the count, you can email us at C-I-M-A-S, which stands for Cortez Island Museum and Archive Society, at twincom.ca. And reminder, if you wanted to pick up Are There Whales in Whale Town, it's on the covered porch there's about five copies there, but I could put more out. Uh, they're $10 each, and you can slide money through the uh, mail slot in the door and turn to page 10 and 11 and, and try the species count that's there. See if you can even just find those ones. That would be a great start. So those are uh, those are the things that I think that will help you do the best uh, you can tomorrow. And check out the Audubon uh, app if you do, if you are inclined technologically, uh, because it is really fascinating. It's a very good learning tool to use throughout the rest of the year to come to know a lot of the species that you'll hear frequently, but may not see because they're so small or they're hidden in the bushes and things like that. Thank you so much, Jane. And we have Corey who's going to come back and talk to us a little bit more about a few additional tips that might get us uh, to hear or observe um, more birds tomorrow during our bird count. Thank you so much for Thank being you, here. Thank you, Amanda. Bye. Um, and I am so excited to to hear that there's a simplified version in the Are There Whales and Whale Town book. Um, I... Uh, have seen and appreciated that book many times. And, um, and of course, I like, uh, you know, little simplified versions of things. And really exciting news about the Birds of Cortez and Middle Natch um, uh, book being updated. Um, Oh, uh, Corey just came in and she said that's her favorite thing. That book? The book. I got it in the first year that I came to Cortez. And I've been keeping the list ever since. And I assume that the Cirque is George Cirque, who we're going to hear from in just moments uh, to talk about migrating birds. So um, so I just feel like, wow. Yes. And there are people from our neighborhood who compiled this. You know, um, uh, it was Ruth Zwickel's husband and uh, Christian Graunau and George Cirque. So we can see Christian's photos often on the tide line. He takes marvelous wildlife photos. So, yeah. A talent unto itself, um, because let me tell you, catching <laughs> photographs <laughs> of birds is actually not that easy. No, no it's not that easy. <laughs> so you've led a number of bird counts in the past, and so I was thought you could give us some some tips about how to do that in a um, best possible way or to Absolutely. make it more effective. Well, Jane made some wonderful suggestions, and having a list is a great place to start. Um, because you're going to want to have a bird book uh, if for reference for the things that you see. But it's great to know what will already likely be here because your bird book will have way more species than are likely to be on Cortez. So you can narrow down your search quickly by cross-referencing your list. Um, 
when you're observing the birds, make sure you observe what they're doing and where they're doing it. If you're not quite sure if it's one thing or another, is the bird eating seeds or is it eating bugs? You know, is it behavior flitty or is it just pecking away at the center of the road? Then you can know it's like, okay, this is a seed eaty bird versus this is a bug eaty bird, which which might be something that you can find in your bird book. It will describe the behaviors of the bird. Um, also, whereabouts it is is going to be a great thing to know. And um, and if you're just starting and you've got your bird book and you think I'm going to participate in this count, this will be fun. If I can get three species, I'll feel really successful. And and you would be um, familiarize yourself with the sections of birds because your bird book is going to be grouped by families of birds. And when you're trying to reference it, it's a good idea to have a general notion of where you're going to find the families. So take some time noticing, oh, you know, the gulls and the loons and the things are all at the front. And then you find the raptors a little bit farther in beside the owls and the songbirds are right at the end. So knowing knowing where those things will greatly smooth your experience of trying to reference the birds, especially if you get really into it and you've got your binoculars and you're, you're trying to identify things quickly, um, you're going to want to know where in the book to look quickly because using the index can be a bit tedious. So, And do you know, um, okay, so like if you don't have, oh, this is probably, this is probably George, so. Um, pause. Yeah, so, or, 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 or um, uh, okay, uh, Corey, you talk about if people don't have bird books at home, what to do. And I'll see if I can. All right. Well, if you don't have a bird book at home, but you do have the internet, then you're set. Um, because you can cross-reference um, whatever bird you see on the internet. Uh, this is going to work a lot better if you already have some idea of what kind of bird you're looking at. I think that Amanda has got George to join us here. Uh, yeah, so keep talking. Keep talking. If you don't have a bird book, you're going to want to have your, your camera or your phone handy in order to take a photograph because it's really hard if you don't already know your birds to uh, to just guess. And, and I have to say that it's not very helpful, even as someone who's identified quite a few birds, to have your neighbor call you up and say, I just saw a brown one. It was about yay big. And it was I couldn't tell what it was doing or what it was. It was saying tweet, tweet, tweet. It's uh, that's that's tricky, even for the most experienced birder. Okay, we are in a moment going to have George on the air with us. There's lots of buttons I have to push. And I don't know if you've ever tried to do this, folks, but if you try to push a bunch of buttons, read a list and talk at the same time, things sometimes don't go well. So I am going to play a little bit of music while I figure all this out. And we're saying goodbye to Corey. Corey, you've been amazing. What an exciting day. Thank you so much. And then we are going to get to hear a little bit more um, from George Sirk, who we've just been speaking about and his amazing uh, work on all sorts of incredible things, including Corey's very favorite book, Birds of Cortez and Middle Natch Island. So um, thank you. Thank you, everyone. And OK, we're going to listen to The Wakeneers. It's a good thing for a moment while I figure out how to get George on the radio. It's a good thing, it's a good thing to have friends who make your heart sing. It's a good thing, it's a good thing to have friends. 
you up by the scruff Not afraid to call your bluff We've got your back, we've got your front We've got your number We've got the ticket, hit the wicket Knock the ball right out of the park Who are actually always on your side You're real, real home team It's a good thing It's a good thing to have friends who make your heart sing. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to have friends who make your heart sing. They can't get you, they can't lecture, be like a living mirror, showing reflections of things in you that you really ought to see. Instead of cry, not get identified. I'm not these thoughts or these emotions. I, I am I. George, do yeah. I have the oh? Oh, I feel really proud of myself right now. I always have to take a moment to do a happy dance when I successfully manage the phone thing. I know what you mean. That 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 room is just full of dials and knobs and everything, isn't it? I I know you know, and I have a whole new respect, not only because you know birds and lots about nature, but because you've managed to successfully bring these things onto the radio many times and make it seem easy. So thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. And, and I'm uh, scheming to come back and bring Nature Boy back to um, the radio station, maybe as, uh, by the end of this month. I, you know what? I think this is a perfect time. We need you. Oh, we, we, we need nature. Nice. Oh, <laughs> you're right about that. Um, so you, uh, you, you, we've already been mentioning you multiple times in the show as the sort of like George Sirk says, and George Sirk, one of the authors of Birds of Cortez and Middle Natch Islands. Yeah. Um, so I really appreciate you being here, and I know that you, in particular, are going to talk to us a little bit about um, migration and the migrating birds that are yeah. around right now. Yeah, we've only got about fifteen minutes left, don't we? And so. I wanted to talk about what is happening, like, as of right now. As far as my background, and I know there's kids listening, which is really great, you know, and I, I know there's some little tykes out there that are actually only about six or seven years old, and they're already real keen birders. But I just want to encourage the, 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 the youth out there to um, take up birding. You know, it's a, it's a non-consumptive collection, and you get your checklist, and you, you go, oh, that's a new one, and you get to add it. And I started in earnest when I was 14. And uh, so that's, you know, over 50 years of, of birding for me. And so I'm, I'm more than addicted to birds. I'm totally obsessed by it. Um, so I just want to encourage the, the kids out there. Because um, really, that's the hope in this world, isn't it? The children, you know, all us old farts. We're we're all done. We're all made up our minds about everything. But the kids, they're very open, and uh, it's a it's a wonderful hobby because you can do it anywhere. You'll never be bored again for the rest of your life. Did you get all that? Oh yes, okay. yeah, and I agree. I love it. Thank you so much for making that um, plug, particularly for the for the young people. 
Yeah, and, and then I know Corey talked about the, the checklist. Everybody's got to get this checklist. The museum has got them. I, mean, I think they're only five dollars, or or by donation if you're you know if you if you're skint. And and so everybody should have it because it, even though it's out of date, it predicts when birds come. And I think that's something that we need to really acknowledge is the fact that birds are incredibly punctual as to when they arrive. For instance, I went, um, Kim and I, we, we went to the Welltown Commons yesterday, and the first um, Hammond's flycatcher of the year was in there. And, uh, and then today, here, I'm pretty well across the street, we live across the street from the radio station, really, and uh, I got the first uh, what used to be called the Western flycatcher, and uh, here. And it just arrived today, right? I know it arrived today. It wasn't here yesterday. I might have missed it. So they're amazingly punctual. So when you use the checklist, you can go to the month, and you can see when the dots start on the checklist. Okay, that's when you can first expect the birds to arrive. And then when it turns into a solid line, that's when they're here in, in full you know, full form and, and force. And th- th- this is a force of what's happening right now. It, uh, there's a, a website, and I'll, I'll, I'll spell it out, Blog Trotter, and that's B-L-O-G-T-R-O-T-T-R, Blog Trotter. And I, w- I, be, I just got onto it, and it, and it says, Migration Alert. Uh, April 30th, May the 1st, and it has a, a map of North America, uh, mostly the United States, and, and it shows the migration of the birds yesterday and their prediction because they can see them in the radar, just like they can see rainstorms and they can predict the, the cloud formation. They can see clouds of birds in the radars, and they know it's birds. They know it's not raindrops, right? You catching me on all this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. I love it. So yesterday, the alert is uh, densities were predicted to reach 300 million birds. So right now, North America is being invaded by as many birds as there are basically people here. And they are flying north. They're moving up, up, up. As, as winter is pushed back further north and it warms up, these birds are basically plowing through the airwaves. And they're going right up through Texas and right up the middle, the Midwest, and into the prairies and on their way north to the northern boreal forests or the forests in, in eastern Canada, or in our case, to the forests here or the interior or on the outside of, of Vancouver Island, you have the migrants of the, of the shorebirds. And, but like they can say <laughs> yesterday there's 300 million birds flying and That's they're amazing. going north it's it's quite amazing of course they, they, what happens is they hit a storm they call them dropouts and they'll predict oh there's a big storm in nebraska and we're predicting a dropout there so in other words the birds they they hit these big storms and they don't want to fly through them and they're forced down and so they come down into the trees and all of the grasslands or wherever they are right and the the you you this website alerts you that there's going to be a dropout today and and so that means make sure you go bird watching tomorrow morning because the whole area 
whether it's, you know, in Ontario or or in Oregon, will be filled with birds that have been forced down and have to wait for a day or two before they continue their migration. It's, 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 it's amazing how sophisticated it's gotten, eh? I love it. And, and, and see, it, what, what it shows, too, is that I know there's a lot of talk about, oh, you know, the big violins come out, you know, the, the species are all dying and everything. Hey, there's 300 million very healthy birds right now moving through. So there's a lot of good stuff that happens, you know. I'm not negating the fact that, yes, there are problems out there, but there's lots of good stuff, and there's lots and lots of birds. And where they're heading, like a lot of these ducks and all your sandpipers, uh, you know, hundreds of millions. That's just, yes, you know, that's the prediction for today. Tomorrow, there'll be a whole other batch coming up. And they're coming all the way from, you know, Argentina, uh, Brazil, Peru, uh, Panama, and, and moving through Mexico and going north, right? Because they've been down there during our winter feeding, fattening up, and they don't have to stop. They're nice and fat. And, and they, they arrive up in the, you know, the northern forest for all your perching birds like warblers and vireos and flycatchers, and then there's all the sandpipers, literally hundreds of millions of sandpipers heading for the Arctic, right? And as the Arctic melts, right, the, the tundra is right now on the verge of really melting because in the next two weeks there's a dramatic change. Like if you go and do a, a search of Environment Canada and you pick Cambridge Bay, in uh, Nunavut or in the Western Territories and in Northern Territories, or you pick uh, Pond Inlet, right? Guess what the temperature is right now in Pond Inlet? Cold? 15 below zero. It's cold, <laughs> right? But in two weeks, it'll, it'll, it'll be approaching zero and, 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 and five degrees. And, 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 and then the tundra starts to melt all the way across. The, the, the thing about Canada, and, and, and it also goes also for Asia, huge expanses. We can't even imagine how enormous these areas are. And what happens is that it, as it melts, right, the, 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 the insects, the gnats, the mosquitoes, all instantly hatch. Their eggs have been laid last year. Bang, they hatch. The, all the pools of water are completely filled with um, all these invertebrates, right? Food. And so the sandpipers all get there just as all these hatchlings come out. And then they feed, 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 feed. Because what happens in the Arctic is you have the upper layer on the ground, the tundra, the, the water, the, the snow melts, right? And there's nothing wrong with it melting, by the way. It's important for it to melt. All that melts, and it forms huge puddles. But the puddles don't go anywhere because underneath, only about a foot, it's frozen. It's, it's permafrost. Some parts in the Arctic, it goes down a 1,000 feet of frozen rock. So that means the water doesn't drain away. Like here on Cortez, it rains, but then you notice, unless you're in a really low spot, the, the water just disappears because it drains into the ground. But in the Arctic, it stays on the surface, and it forms vast, vast um, areas of, 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 of basically ponds that are only inches deep, excuse me, deep. 
and filled with all these insects, right? And then these millions, hundreds of millions of sandpipers are all feeding away many, many species. What is there, 40, 50 species of sandpiper? And they're all feeding away. And, of course, you know, they, they, they court, uh, they mate, they lay their eggs, and, 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 and then, bang, they, 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 they start leaving by the end of July, and start heading back to South America because winter's coming, right? And so this is what is happening now. Migration. How's that? I, I, I like it. And so the website, again, for people who want to look at the blog trotter, and if you want to get into it, um, it's B-L-O-G-T-R-O-T-T and are so and and so when it comes to like they're having the count tomorrow right and they're calling it migration and yes that is the migration now if you were going to do a breeding bird census of Cortez Island you wouldn't do it tomorrow because our birds aren't here yet right mm. there's a few that are just coming in right now like we've seen the swallows like I mentioned a couple of uh, flycatchers right and there's a few warblers have starting to arrive but really all the rest of May, all these birds that I've been talking about are coming out from Central America and Mexico. They'll be arriving here. So if you really were going to do a breeding bird census, which I've done on Cortez, it's about the 6th of June. Because everybody is here who's going to nest by the 6th of June. And that's the uh, common nighthawk is the last one to arrive. Right. So... When you go out tomorrow, you're going to get a, a sense of some of the birds that live here. But pay attention for the rest of the month. And notice, like Corey was talking about the songs, right? The, notice when you go out every day, or certainly every second day, if you step outside and just take a few minutes with your cup of tea or coffee, and, and, and you sit outside and listen, you will hear a new bird every day or two, and then there'll be another one. You've got your western tanagers coming. You've got your vireos, which are like warblers coming. There's more warblers coming. Um, there's the goldfinches coming. You know, everybody's still coming, and, and you, you'll, you'll actually, even though you can't identify the birds, it doesn't matter, you'll notice that, hey, that's a new song. And that's what George was talking about. That's a new arrival. Now, if you can get to see it, well, then you get to, you know, have a chance of identifying it. And, and, um, and then you can put it on your, on your checklist, on your, on your life list. I'm a naturalist. I enjoy all of nature. But really, I'm totally addicted to birds. How's that? I love it. So, George, yeah. for things like the Nighthawk that don't show up until June, how long will, will they stick around? Well... Interesting. They hate the cold. They're mm -hmm. just, they're just, they're a bit like me, you know. <laughs> That's why they don't come till June. Because these temperatures we've got at night now, about five degrees or so, oh, that's horrific. Nighthawks don't like it cold. So they're here about by the time that we don't get those temperatures, you know. We'll get maybe down to 10 or 12 degrees at night or something like that. And they'll put up with that. And then they leave about the third, fourth week of August. And then by the 7th of September, you will be lucky to get any Nighthawks. So there's your span, you know, to July, to August, to September. Only three months they spend here. They're the last to come and the first to go. Oh, wow. Yeah. They're the ones that go, 
Bear. Oh, yes, yes. I yeah. know what you mean. Dusk and dawn. <laughs> mosquito hawks, they call yeah, them. And yeah. then when they dive bomb, they go brrrr. And those are their wings vibrating. And he, he will dive down to where the female is sitting on a rock, an exposed area, and he displays, and his display is the vibration of his wings. And you hear that brrrr as it comes down. But their call is bear, bear. They're caprimulgiforms. They're, they're called the goat suckers. Oh, man. Because people thought hundreds of years ago that they had such big mouths, they must be the culprits for who's been stealing, stealing the milk from my goats. <gasps> <gasps> We've, we've come a long ways. <laughs> I, sort of, and sort of not. Um, oh, man, George, we could go all day. But I know, I... but luckily we, 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 we can stop. Yeah, 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 exactly. Or we have to stop because the radio will cut us off one way or another. Okay. Um, thank you so much for, for tuning in. I highly encourage you to come back and do Nature Boy again. We all, we 